Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express, part of the Blog Talk Radio Network. Your host on the Coco Express is Aurelia Lyles. She's all about keeping it real. Great guests, interesting topics, so get on board. Listen, learn. Welcome to the Cocoa Express Show for Wednesday, November 12, 2014. I want to tell you all, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us this evening. And we have an amazing guest with us this evening. She is Resilience Personified. If there was a way that we could classify someone with this tenacious spirit, um, I think it would probably take maybe 10 years to really get the definition down packed because her her life, her journey has been something that has left us speechless whenever we hear her voice, whenever we see her. She has ageless beauty. She's talented. She's intelligent. She's gifted in so many different ways. And one thing that we know for sure is that she is a person who doesn't give up. And she doesn't stop. And her name is Melba Moore. Melba Moore is an American rhythm and blues singer and actress. And she's out of New York. She's a four-time Grammy nominee and the winner of a 1970 Tony Award for Best Performance by a featured actress in a musical for her performance is Letty Bell in Pearly. And that is just part of who she is and what she's done. And it gives me honor to have her on the show today, and I have to say that I have been a fan of hers, and my favorite song in the whole world is I Got Love, and I would sing that before I had my daughter. When I had my daughter, I would sing that song to her, and I want to take the opportunity to bring to you the amazing Melba Moore. Hi. What a introduction. How are oh. you? I'm doing well, and I am so honored to have you on the show this evening. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome so much. You, I have to say that your life, your journey, your career has been a testament of perseverance, has been a testament of strength, courage, all those things that we often talk the talk but never walk the walk. And I have to say that, you know, having you on the show and allowing you the opportunity, allowing us the opportunity to hear your story is just definitely going to make, you know, changes in the lives of those who get the opportunity to listen. And I, I thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad people are interested. And I hope, well, I guess I hope in telling it, people see the goodness in themselves and that, you know, God is good and he'll help you through it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now, when did you begin your journey? Uh, okay, well, I began it in New York City. Uh, I was born there to a single mother, and um, she, she was uh, a professional singer as well, so she was away a, a good deal of the time. And uh, my grandmother uh, had had strokes by the time I was born, so she couldn't speak. So I, I was born into a broken family, let me put it that way, um, very difficult challenges right from the beginning. Um, but as time moved on, she met and married uh, a man that has turned out to be just just the most amazing person. He's amazing to everybody, but certainly he's amazing to me because he came into my life as my father, and he he brought with him his daughter and his son, which then gave me a sister and a brother, <laughs> and all his sisters and brothers, which gave me aunts and uncles and cousins, and a family, a real family. So that's kind of the personal beginnings. And also, he is, he's 98, and he still performs. Uh, he brought music really uh, personally and intimately into my life. It became the centerpiece of our family because our parents were musicians. And that's kind of the... the the nutshell of how my life began and how music began. That is amazing. That's excellent. So it must have been um, really nice to have all of that music around you. How did that influence you? Because I know initially you were interested in dance. 
Right, but I really didn't get it. My my father still tells the story of how um, I asked him for dance lessons, and he said, well, no, you have to take piano lessons. He thinks I still hold it against him. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I I still love dance. Um, I was never a a good dancer, but I like movement. I I liked it. It helped me stand up straight. It helped me sing better. Uh, It helped me be aware of body language and you know telling the story with the whole body not just with the voice so i think i probably have the soul of a dancer if not the body okay <laughs> but um but being around music it just really it it um it transformed me because the early days were so broken and and a lot of abuse but the music sued the, the music was a means of uh everybody coming together and um, where I was kind of disjointed and really didn't communicate and um, was uh, depressed, really, and uh, it brought me out of myself. I mean, there was it was a place to go in and to hide too. But when you when you're inside of the music, especially when it's joyful music and other people in your family are sharing it, it's also a means of you coming together and singing together and helping you to get out of yourself and get out, getting out of whatever negativity you might just naturally be in or whatever's happened to you. It's a soother. It's a healer. Oh, that is, that, that is true. And I, I'm going to agree with you on that because um, you can, like they say, music soothes the savage beast. And that is exactly what it does. It goes someplace into your mind and it, it relaxes your body and transforms you into something you don't even expect sometimes. Right. I, yeah. I think that's why it's very important. You you mentioned singing to your daughter. You know, if you have music and it's the right kind in your family, it does amazing things f- for infants and for for everybody. It's just a wonderful gift from God. Yes, it is indeed. Now, you had the pleasure of attending a performing arts high school. What was that like for you? Well, by the time I got to high school, I, I think music really was had become a passion. I wasn't certain that I was going to be a performer, but I knew I wanted to be in the industry. My parents were performed together, and all they ever told us was the bad things that happened in the industry and how unstable and insecure it is. And, you know, people need to get a real job. That's what they said, but they never got a real job. <laughs> they, they loved that. You could see the passion and the love in it. And I think that that caught me. So by the time I got to high school, I determined that I would at least take the audition and see could I get into the music and art high school because I wanted to spend all my time in around music, in music, uh, thinking about it, uh, um, practicing it, studying it, being around people who <laughs> who loved it, and the way that they feel and think and act, uh, artists or or and, and music teachers, you know, and people in a school where music rules. I mean, you have to be great at your academics, but music is the king. And I was right. That environment was so special and so warm. And so, once again, what music does for you, soothing. Yeah. I I also had the pleasure of going to a performing arts high school. And for me, it was an experience that just completely changed my life, just to be around so many talented and gifted people. And we all kind of shared a certain connection that yeah. to this day when I see it's forever. Them, yes, yes, yes indeed. And you know what was great about it? Um I grew up in a time where, you know, racism was still very strong and separatism it was very strong. But in that environment there's no race. That is correct. That is correct. You kind it's of just, almost forget about it, you know? Yes indeed. You know, it's I used to say it's the sharing of God's talents and gifts. Mm-hmm. It just crosses everything, and you know, everybody's just with everybody, and it's a joyful, um, what can I say, um, inspiring environment because everybody's studying and working because they want to, not because they have to. <laughs> yes, and what's so interesting is when we would have fun, it wouldn't be the typical kind of fun that the average person would have. When we would have fun, we're using our gifts and talents again to create fun atmospheres for for ourselves in our little group. And it's it's just so different and it was just so lively. And I think the movie fame kinda captured a little bit of that and allowed the world to see the inside of the the mind of the artist and the development of an artist at early stages. Yes, and I, I think that's that's important too because I was a person who 
I'm still shy. I'm, <laughs> when we go to events, I, I was just at uh, Debbie Jackson's event at BB King's. She said, "Okay, Bob, come on, come on." She said, drag me up to the front. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, some pe- I guess everybody has a, a, a certain personality. It does it doesn't have to be anything that happened to you in your life necessarily. Some people are um, gregarious and outgoing, and, and others are like me, just kind of quiet and shy. I'm not afraid. I love being around people, but I'm not forward. Somebody always has to drag me up. To- you know, to 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 be in a picture or something, but um, in those environments, like uh, I don't know, shy people don't have a problem. You, you know, you'll talk to each other, you form little musical groups, you form little things, you do things. I don't know, you come out of yourself because I just, I guess you just feel you feel good. Yes, 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 indeed. Now, from high school, you went on to college and you studied music in college as well. After you left college, you became a music teacher. Now, what was that like? Well, I did it very well, and I enjoyed it. But in some ways, I I was kind of, I don't know, feeling misplaced because I I felt like I needed to try being a performer. Actually, I felt like one step removed because you're, you're teaching it but you're not really doing it. I mean, you're doing it in the classroom, but not out there in, in the world of artists and musicians. And so eventually, uh, after not too long, I told my my dad how I felt because I didn't want it to uh, disappoint my parents. I was a good uh, daughter, you know, and I thought that they were right. They knew what they were talking about. But my heart was making me very sad at not being in the midst of at least trying to perform. So I had mixed feelings about it. I did it very well, and I feel like I'm still a gifted teacher. I, I taught it very well. I had I went beyond, you know, whatever was asked for me, and I loved doing, but something was still nagging at me to get in the arena of performing. Okay. Now, once you decided that this is what I'm going to do, what did you do going from that point going forward? What did you do? Well, I said, this is what I'm going to try to do, so I told my, my parents, and I asked for their blessing, and although they were disappointed, they started. They really made every effort to get me into the industry by taking me to uh, business people that they knew. And uh, what happened was my father was taking me around to agents and people that he thought could help me start to get work. But uh, in, the, in somebody's uh, office, I met Valerie Simpson, and she. It was. It was. Um, I don't know, it was a colleague of my father's, but the, the office were, were people who handled songwriters. And I was just there because he took me there, but she was there, I guess, because she was trying to get um, further herself uh, as a songwriter because she was just starting at, at that point. But we spoke with each other and exchanged numbers, and she invited me to do recording work, session work, backup work, jingles, and uh, uh, back as a studio singer. So that's that's actually my father was trying to get me, you know, to to do like he did, to play the piano and sing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I wound up starting as, as a studio singer. Oh, great! That must have been really exciting for you starting out doing that. Absolutely, you know, because you've been a, a student of music in that environment, and just to be able to make a living and actually perform it. You know, I, I wasn't a star. I wasn't a, even a solo soloist. But I'm, I love working with the other people. We were all like in our little clique, you know, you know, singing our songs and reading our music and, you know, being able to pay our, our own bills. It was mm-hmm. very exciting. And, of course, we sung behind like the top singers of the time because Valerie was uh, at the top of her profession at that time. So when she ushered me in, I really kind of started singing jingles and singing the top uh, uh, backup studio jobs. Now, not only were you singing, but you also found yourself in the Broadway arena. How did you get into that particular arena? It was from one of the recording sessions. It, it turned out to be for uh, this, the artist, the solo artist was Galt McDermott, and we were doing backup for his uh, session. He's a keyboardist, and he's also the composer of the music from the Broadway musical Hair. And he was being accompanied by um, Jerry Ragney and Jim Rado, who wrote the the book and the lyrics. They were helping him to do his solo album, and they invited everybody on the recording session to be in here if they wanted to, because they, they were still looking for strong singers, and they were looking for some um, African American female characters to do some of the the parodies, that, uh, little specialty acts that they had in the show. So they were still casting, and that's how I got the first Broadway show. 
Well, excellent. That's amazing. I know you must have been completely over the top with that. <laughs> I don't know if I've recovered yet all these years because it was such an amazing, revolutionary, unique, one-of-a-kind situation. I mean, first of all, during during that time, for somebody to have a play where race really didn't matter. I mean, they were ca- they were ca- they were casting some some uh, black characters to make these political comedic statements. But in some cases, a lot of the roles were interchanged, and males played female roles. And uh, well, that was a comedy too. Margaret Mead was always played by a man. <laughs> but in, wherever there was an opportunity for somebody who just did well or had a sense of humor or was, you know, kind of a living caricature of himself, uh, they might interchange some of the roles. So it was very an unusual. Um, opportunity that I don't think happens very often in, in that sense. And then, of course, it was revolutionary in the sense that it was the first play to use contemporary R&B or rock music as as the um, the, the you know the, the style of music for the play for the show. Um, everything else was like you know there's a Broadway style of music, but this was contemporary. A lot of the songs that came out of it were were songs for um, well. R&B or, or recording artists like um, The Fifth Dimension. Um, there's, there's a bunch of others that, uh, I mean, but the songs were like Easy to Be Hard, uh, Let the Sunshine In. Um, they, you know, they were contemporary-sounding songs for the times, and that was unusual. So the whole whole situation was, it was just like, I guess kind of like a little miracle in my life anyway. <laughs> Indeed, and it did leave a lasting impression because a lot of the songs found themselves in a lot of school performances as well. A lot of the um, school performances had a lot of those songs that they used on a regular basis. Well, I just did a master class at Temple University, and one one of the requests they made was that I sing some of the songs from here because they were performing this, the uh, the play. They, they were performing the whole play. And so, um, you know, these are becoming part of history now. I mean, it's part of, you know, um, musical theater, which I think is fabulous. That's a, that's excellent, and you you were a trendsetter and a pioneer because you were able to take the role. Once Diane Keaton left that particular role, you stepped in and you right. took her role, and that wasn't heard of at the time. No, that was a first. But I again, I say that environment because what had happened was. Uh, after Diane left, there were several different people that had done the role, none of which, who, you know, names that we would know right now. So I never really tell that part of it because there's too many details. What do you say? It's too much information. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, what happened was one of the, the black girls in the show said, well, how come you always give the role to white people? I thought you said, you know, this was open. And, you know, why does she have to be white? Does she have to be blonde and blue-eyed? And so uh, Jerry Ragnar said, no, she did, doesn't. We just didn't think of that. I'm glad you thought of it. Would you like to try for the role? She said, no, but Melvin Moore might want to try for it. <laughs> but that's the kind of environment it was. It really was open and loving. Oh, that's great. Now, and that brought you into the Pearly um, musical, correct? Uh, well, yeah, because that same girl, I didn't have an agent or a manager. I probably would have still been a studio singer. But that opportunity came, and thank God I had sense enough to say, yes, I'll learn on the job. I didn't really have to have any experience. They weren't requiring that. But um, she reminded me that I really didn't really know how to audition. I didn't know where anything was or how I didn't know anybody in the industry. And she was telling me I should start to make connections and, and move around and find out how it works. And she told me about auditions for Pearly, and she told me, you know, what I should do to prepare for it. She really set it up for me, practically. And um, I went really to try to learn how to audition, start to make the rounds, but I got the part. And that's how I got my second Broadway show, which I had a two-week hiatus from when I left the uh, the lead role in Hair and went directly into Pearly and then, of course, got Tony Award for that. And, of course, the show is totally, totally, totally different. But it, too, once again, was kind of a revolutionary experience in that it was really a gospel black play. And that, those were, well, I've never seen a, another gospel on there since, <laughs> to be honest with you, unless I'm, I'm not being aware of what's going on. A lot of different things, but not a black gospel play with a story that's 
been a Broadway Tony Award-winning show. Uh, probably turned out to be that. And um, it was unusual because, uh, once again, the, um, the racial differences in cliques were just very much stronger then. So it was very hard to raise money for it. It was very hard to get a theater and stay in the theater. Uh, it was very hard to play the politics. It's, that's another miracle that I was even nominated Tony Award because things were just much more closed then than they are now. I had the pleasure of seeing the performance when it was uh, broadcast on television, and I love it. We had a whole viewing in my house. We had to sit down. <laughs> it was nothing going on. We were just watching it. A pearly party. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, you won a Tony Award for Best Performance by a Featured Actress in a Musical. How did that feel to be recognized by your peers? My peers? You know, I hate to be redundant, but that was so exciting. I don't remember half of it. Fortunately, I have it on tape (laughs) (laughs) because there were just so many strange new things that I was kind of popped into. Um, I didn't know the categories. I thought they had call someone else, and I heard the audience yelling, Melba Moore, Melba Moore. I was trying to figure out what, what was wrong, what was going on. But the gentleman who had announced it, his name was Jack Cassidy, I'll always remember that, and he was known for always being drunk whenever he did anything. So he <laughs> said, somebody else's first name and my last name. <laughs> and so they, I think the audience, you know, they were all full of these incredible uh, 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 star actors, so they knew him, they knew he would you know, he might do something like that. So I think they were yelling at him, you know, say the right name. That's not that's not who it is, you know. Okay. <laughs> so oh, wow. Hilarious. <laughs> so you had no clue. I, well, I was just, I was confused. Oh, okay. Because I thought that's the other person in the category had won it because he said the wrong name. Really, yeah, that's really interesting, really interesting, but still in awe. I mean, the fact that the fellow, your fellow lesbians saw your talent and your, your ability and they, you know, recognized you for it in the form of an award that you will have for the rest of your life is amazing. Yes, yes. I, I think that happened because there had to have been politics that I don't even know about that were rearranged or arranged so that I could even be um, um, nominated. Not that they wouldn't nominate a black person, but... Um, I would have been up against people like Lauren Bacall, and I don't see how politically I could have had a chance. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I know that it, they did some rearrangement. I don't think anybody did anything uh, unscrupulous or anything, but where of this people is going to be politics? And I know that was something unusual, and that somebody, a body of people must have wanted me to have a chance at least at it. Oh, that—that that is that was just, I say it was God, okay? <laughs> I do too. <laughs> and you're, you're right, um, as it's turned out. I mean, it doesn't work this way for everybody, but as it's turned out, that has been a very powerful door opening for me the, the entire rest of my c- career. As I've gone into to be fo- more focused in R&B music, um, people really respect the Tony Award. As, as it happened for me at that time, it allowed me to be a guest on the top uh, TV shows, regardless of what they were, when many... Uh, um, R&B recording artists, black artists, they could have been the top of the of of, of the uh, the field, but they were not invited. There was there was a racial curtain, and the, the Tony Award did open those doors. They've they've done it's done amazing things for me in my life. In my career. That is that is amazing because you did the Ed Sullivan Show, the David Frost, Mike Douglas, the Carrie Carbonette, Seth Wilson, and the list goes on. And you you are correct. Not everyone, even if they were on the top of the charts were not invited to appear on those shows. So that spoke volumes to the respect and the, uh, I guess, the honor that they saw in having you on their show. You said it perfectly, yes. And I'm saying once again, it's God, and I'm very grateful. And I think since I've had such a long career, I can really, really appreciate it now. And, you know, in, in certain cases, have the ability to, if it was needed, to remind people of what I've achieved because it's been a long time now. Sometimes you have to just say, well, you know, well, who are you and why are you and why are you here or why are you still here? And the Tony Award always rings a bell. <laughs> now, you have worn so many different hats and you've had so many transitions in your career. Um, you have 
you've had your ups and downs, as many of us do experience, but a lot of your ups and downs were, were made public. And what has that been like for you personally? I mean, how did that help you continue to move forward in your career? It's helped me tre- tremendously because you have to get strong if you're not. You, you have to, you know, not let hurt feelings stop you. You, you have to not let the fact that you have not a clue of how to move to the to a um, a safe place or a, a respectable place or uh, a prosperous place. You don't have a clue, but you have to you have to keep going and trying no matter what. And once again, God has been you know my my focus, and I see that um, I can just quiet myself down daily and get in the scriptures to hear what He's saying. He sends people to help. He gives you a point of view to take some insight as to what to do or sometimes just to be still or, you know, things are very hurtful or very, very um, uh, um, what can I say, you know, you, you don't have any money or anywhere to stay. You don't sometimes don't even have clothes. Uh, um, and, and he provides it for you. You, you. you get through it. So you learn to take it one day at a time. But know that, that each time you make it through, that accumulates and it becomes part of your integrity. And that's something that if you won't let it go, it, it not only won't leave you, but you continue to be, stronger, better person, and I think uh, whatever your craft is, you still can get better at it, you know, as long as it ain't basketball or something where your knees wear out. (laughs) (laughs) You got a point there. (laughs) That is amazing because I don't know if you've noticed, but oftentimes we only see the the bright, shiny ball, you know, floating around the air, and we never really know about the dark spot or the dark time that comes along. And the next time you see a person, it's the bright, shiny ball bouncing around. And in your particular case, you had the bright, shiny ball bouncing around. Then there was, a, you know, like a lull, a dark period. and But you didn't hide that. You allowed people to see who you were, and that just, for it us. Wasn't, it wasn't all out of my being so gracious. My situation was that I needed to try as hard as I could to get to hard news and make it public, first of all, for my safety, mm-hmm. First, second of all, to get my reputation back, because what had been perpetrated on me was a fraudulent divorce. I had to figure out how to get my, my only daughter back into my possession and into my care. My life really was at stake. I had to figure out a way to make the media tell my story, first of all, so that I would be safe, second of all, so that my credibility would at least be on record. And that has really served me very, very well. And um, I, I never told, I, there were many things I could have told, but I didn't say anything that I couldn't prove that wasn't real hard news, that that couldn't be made into just gossip, because that's so so prevalent in entertainment. And as the time has gone by, and I've had to really go almost like door to door to get my life and my career and my, my uh, daughter back, everything is on record. So now God has given me a chance to have new projects and, go to a new plateau, but it's built on a foundation of having overcome all these different things that are on record that I put on record along with people who helped me tell my story so people can see who it is that I am as opposed to whatever it is they heard. Well, that is a testament of the strength of your character because many people would have went in a hole and hid and not have come out and said anything. And the fact that you did that, that also allows someone else who may be going through something similar to Look at your courage and stand up for themselves as well. Yes, that that's my hope because uh, I know the situation I was in was was not unique in that very often you can be in an abusive relationship or a situation where you're really um, scared to do anything and that's been perpetrated on you and that affects your, your personality and um, you almost, not willingly, but you cooperate with your oppressor and not getting out and getting some help and it also... Um, it, it dampens your courage so that you, you have less and less uh, um, faith and hope and will and stamina to keep doing whatever it is you really were put here to do, even maybe to make a living or take care of your child. It, it just takes away your confidence if you don't have some way to um, stand up for yourself and, then, you know, of course, get some help. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is true. And 
you continue to, you know, move forward. And that's the thing that I've noticed as I was reviewing your bio and, and looking at everything. You just continue to move forward. And you didn't let the obstacles become your stumbling blocks. You let them be your building blocks. Yes. That's that's been my um um my attempt. I've been trying to do that. <laughs> And you said that you have, you know, like you're still moving forward and you still have other projects and everything. And what I would like to say is that you have an amazing voice that is timeless. And you you sound amazing. And you have some projects that you have going on out there that are um, on iTunes, correct? Correct. I have a new, um, um, well, I guess it's a double uh, CD. I mean, double, two songs on it. What Can I Do to Survive, which I think is a beautiful ballad, and Just Dance that everybody seems to be going crazy over. Rudy's got all these top DJs around the world are doing mixes on it, so they, they really helped to make it a, a success as well. Called, mm-hmm. It's a dance song called Just Dance, up-tempo, I should say. Um, and it's written and produced by um, Dominic McFadden and his partner, Faux Notes, that's what he calls himself. And he happens to be the son of Gene McFadden of McFadden and Whitehead. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so everybody knows Ain't No Stopping Us Now in Philly International. Mm-hmm. And um, that music seems to be doing very, very well, so I expect to move forward with these, um, the entire album, which I've entitled Forevermore, that I hope to have out in, in the spring, maybe April or May or so. That's the main project. The other other main project is I'm putting together a production company to tour my one-woman play with music called Still Standing, The Melba Moore Story, which is my testimony or my autobiography with music. Amazing. Now, I happen to have Just Dancing right okay. now, and I would like for, yes, I would love to play for our listeners. If you don't great. mind, we're going to play it, okay? I would love that. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you. Good times music could bring Let's get back to 
would like to thank you for not giving up on us, the listening public. <laughs> oh, you guys are fantastic. What are you talking about? No, they've been great to me. Yeah. Yes, because that is fabulous. I mean, you still, I, you're still Melvin Moore. You're just amazing. Thank you. You're <laughs> I'm glad welcome. you like it. Yes, I really do like that. Now, in addition to um, you having, you know, these various projects going on, um, you also have received, you know, honorary degrees for your work. How does all of that feel looking back at your career? Well, actually, what it does, is your name Aurelia? Yes. Thank you. I will call you by your name. <laughs> um it makes me see that um, now I have a body of work that I actually could use in um, in college and doing master classes and going back to the schools and uh, kind of connecting back with, with that because um, uh, now I feel like I have – I don't mind going back into the classroom because uh, I've been out and I've, you know, uh, in, into what I call the world classroom, i put it that way. And now, you, you know, I have some wisdoms and some techniques and some – I really have something I could I could give to classes now. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to do more of that too as well. You know. That is excellent because I believe it is our duty to share our gifts and talents because that's, that's, I always that's it. yeah yeah I always say that God blesses He loves us so much that He blesses people with special abilities and that's how He shows His love for us and the object of the um, whole exercise is for them to show their love for him by sharing their talents with the world, and that's exactly what you've been doing. That's, that's what I like to do, you know, actually in the classroom uh, more often now, uh, some some um, touring of that kind, you know, where you, you go to, to, especially, of course, I have an interest in historically black colleges to um, show them who they are or who they will be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And some of the techniques that I've developed that I think have preserved my health, um, my vitality, uh, my my voice is, is, the range is growing, and that's unusual. But I think, once again, there's not really an awful lot just in general s- spoken to people coming up about the wholeness. I mean, you, we I see some wonderful things on, like, The Voice and, American Idol and that. I don't know what's going on. And I, I think there's probably a lot of great stuff going on at the university level, but I think there could be more imparted by somebody like me, and I'm sure other artists are doing, but I like to do more of it on the high school level, especially in the junior high school level. Yes, because there is so, so many amazing, talented young folks out there, and sometimes they don't get seen or noticed because everyone is focusing on the next level. And they're not really looking at that level, and that would be right. great. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think I could do a lot on that level. I, I would enjoy doing that now. You know, I've got my um, satisfactions met, and I will still be able to do that. And I, I always kind of felt like if I was successful, I would come back and teach or try to give something back in terms of what I've learned that uh, I think is uh, maybe um, what do you call it, life lessons? Mm-hmm. You know how yeah. how you protect your. Um, everybody wants to know how you protect your money. I th- I want to teach you how to protect your soul and your mind. You know, and your body, and then the money will follow. <laughs> yes, indeed, and that is truly important because you can see for yourself. And you know, every time you turn on a TV set, how you things can really get away from you really quickly. Well, and what I see too is like, it's just common for all types of, not just marriages and amorous types, abusive relationships because people don't know, first of all, how to give, and second of all, they don't know how to learn themselves so that, you know, you have parameters and you have limits into which you don't just allow people to come in, and there's ways that you do that without disrespecting anybody. Um, You don't have to be a loner. You don't have to be under peer pressure, but nobody teaches you how to... I guess just keep yourself in your own safe but wholesome place. I guess that's important to me coming from a broken family in the beginning. I mean, by the time um, I had a fa- I had to learn how to communicate. Mm. And this uh-huh. should be 
something, you know, a young person should have, but there's so much brokenness in our society and in our families. And then, you know, what what your gifts are can be developed better, and I think you have less difficulty because uh, you wouldn't get into certain situations. But if you had to go, for instance, if you're working with people, you don't always have the ability to say, okay, well, you're not a scrupulous person, so I can't work with you. you if, but if you set up certain parameters for yourself, um, a lot of the things won't happen to you. I think that's important, too. Now, if you had the opportunity to Melbourne more today, what would you say to the Melbourne more in her 20s? Well, just hold steady, hold fast. Um, you got a lot of pieces missing, but if you'll be patient, God will put them there. They may come late, but you'll get them. Uh, I, I know there were times when I, I tried to move faster. I tried to do things the way other people did them, and they didn't work. I don't know that I was wrong, but every person goes at their own pace. I tried to be faster because I was always slow at everything. <laughs> I was always Whoa. And I just call I, I would pray to God I said, Well God, why am I such a turtle? He said, Well I made turtles. What's wrong with turtles? <laughs> I said, Oh, maybe I should look at that a different way. <laughs> I, I don't think that, you know, any young person really does anything wrong. It's just that, you know, life is not perfect and you're gonna make mistakes. And I, I think we tell young people that more today so that they're not I think so uh, shocked when they do make mistakes, and that's a good thing. I think, yeah. I don't know, I, I just would have said to myself, don't worry too much, you're going to make mistakes. But I think that my parents told me, they never said anything good about the industry. But what they showed me was that they loved it so much. And uh, so that gave me the courage, you know, in spite of the fact that I, I knew that they weren't, happy about me coming into the industry to tell them it's just in my heart to do it and if it doesn't work I'll come back and teach and um, I don't want to disobey you I think I did good considering you know you don't know what's out there you don't know who you are yet so you have to have a chance to to experiment yeah okay okay that is excellent so you're telling you you're, you're telling the young self to be courageous and not be afraid I am I am, yeah. And if you fall down, be patient with yourself and with others and just keep trying. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, you don't know. So That is so true. Now, the um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you was if you had a list of five things that you wanted to tell the world, you know, and tell young folks, what would those five things be? Uh, well, put God first. I know everybody thinks it's kind of religious. Maybe they they don't. I don't know. But he's not separate from the rest of the world. And I think when you take him out, um, a lot of things, you know, difficult things are going to happen, but you compound them. I, I see, um, I don't know, some things are becoming fashionable, and they shouldn't. Um, I think a disrespect for relationships and uh courtships and uh, romance and the way that it it should go, uh, not so much strictly, but if we could put a little bit more respect in it, because God created it in a certain way, and when we do that, it works, at least it works better, because <laughs> mm-hmm. people are not perfect, so there's going to be problems, but when we change the rules, and I don't want to be specific, because I don't want to insult anybody, but when we change the rules, it's like saying, well, I know better than God does, and you know, that's old-fashioned, but God is eternal, and he doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> we will come through an era of making some terrible mistakes that whoever's left behind after the Holocaust, hopefully there will be enough left of our society to say, well, we can correct that, you know, God was right in the first place. We need to be married to one person. We need to not just uh, um, indiscriminately have sex with this one or that one or the other one. Because, you know, there are diseases now that never were before that we we don't even have names for yet, and they're increasing because we're not following the rule. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number three? Number three. Okay, I guess, I guess that's one and two, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what would I want to tell people? 
keep hope alive. Of course, Jesse Jackson already said that, but try to remain hopeful. Uh, sometimes that can be difficult, especially when you're young, because everything is coming at you. Um, the world continues to change. Um, you're trying to find an entry level at certain things that are already established. Everybody's got their group or their clique. And um, I said courage. Courage, and that that is important. But, but hope is another thing. Uh, to not, I mean, especially if you're in a situation where really bad things are happening to you, and pe- there are many people who are. If you can kind of still remain hopeful some kind of way, I don't want to try to dictate that to you, but if you can be around people that encourage you, find some people that um, are kind to you. There's usually somebody around, and be kind to yourself, and keep hope alive. Okay, number four. Okay, whatever it is you want to do, work at it, focus on it, work hard at it, because even gifted people have to hone their skills, get skillful at at whatever it is you want to do. What I'm discovering is that to get skillful, and at least as good as you can, and study it and work at it, brings a lot of other good fortune in your life, because that's a way of of building integrity, too, that you don't want to uh, skate by and just make the money, or if if you are making good money, you don't want to get by just because you're making good money. Now, you don't have to do the job. It, it sets uh, uh, standards of excellence in you that you want to set them for yourself, even if nobody's watching. It, it, it develops you as a person, and you stay that way till the day you die. And the more than likely, you become a scrupulous person, and you go to heaven, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I was told by a, a friend, and he also does a segment on our network, and he said character is what you do when no one is looking. Oh, well, you guys are writers, so you said it perfectly. So I guess what I'm saying develop character. Mm-hmm. Okay. And try to be yeah. around. If you can choose to be around people that have character, you know, do that. And number five. Uh, well, be the best person you can, just all around. Uh, I think uh, be caring. Care about others. Get outside of yourself. Okay. That is amazing because those are all really good foundations for any of us, that we, you know, any of us to use in any aspect of our lives. And it really it really helps to to have some things to look at as guides, because as you know, life comes with none. And you learn as you go. <laughs> right, on the job, yes. Yes, you learn as you go. And, you know, and you know, you have the Bible, you know, as they say, basis instructions before leaving this earth. And, you know, those, that's a good starting point and everything, but it's really, really good to have some things that you can look at and go, okay, these are just basic foundations that I can leave for myself. And I can build on that, and that is excellent. Because have, what it is is you you really have to build your own life. No one else can do that for you. You can look at other people, but you have to build it yourself. Yes, yes, you're so, so correct, and that is so true. And because what may work for Sally may not work for you. Precisely. And Sally's journey it may have a different direction than yours will, so you can't follow. Or even a different different purpose. Sometimes it's, it's a challenge just to find out really what your purpose is here. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, it, it may not necessarily be what, what your your job is. <laughs> it may carry it in there, but you may see other reasons why you're even doing that. Like, like right now, uh, my whole um, vocal experience is truly and totally a ministry. Fortunately, he's sending me out in the secular world and everywhere else. But if, if I don't get that part right and understand that it's a calling and that it's religion for me, it seems like I don't get to do the other part. Like, I'm really, I was I was so focused on, you know, making my job and my focus God. I was really shocked that he gave me a dance song. <laughs> I thought it would be a gospel song. <laughs> okay. That's really interesting. But you also know that he, you know, he's for all men, you know, all men, right. all men, and he's right. gonna bring he's gonna bring the people into his fold from all different corners of the world. So, right. you know, and I believe that he works that way. So 
so that we all know that he is not selective. Like, we can be selective and discriminating, he's not. Right. I, and I think we're coming to a time, too, where that's becoming more and more prevalent and people who have um, uh, um, the goal to have uh, a holiness or a good, good spirit, there's more unity. I find that there's fewer and fewer real separations between denominations because everybody's really seeking the truth and seeking to be the best that they can be. And so mm-hmm. whether they're Christian or not, they can come into a different places and make a good um, make something good happen in, in the society. Yeah. Yes, yes. Now, I wanted to get this one song in before we, we, we you know, close down the show, and it's What Can I Do to Survive? Can you give us a little background information and we can play that one as well? All right. Well, once again, it's by um, Dominic McFadden and Phone Notes, and it was the first song that um, I discovered with him, and we released it quite some time ago, but we didn't have a promotional team together like we do now, so we put it back out again, and, um, well, that's the history of it. <laughs> so we oh. actually have two two singles out now, this, uh, What Can I Do to Survive and Just a Dance. They're both out now. Okay, I'm going to play What Can I Do to Survive, and then when we come back, we'll kind of wrap things up, okay? Okay, thanks. Thank you.
Alba. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. That is a beautiful song. Thank you. Yes. Now, how can people keep tabs on you? Oh, okay. Well, com is my um, website, um, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, you can get the music on iTunes, Amazon.com, and all the other um, social outlets that you can buy music on. That is great. That is great. Now, are you going to be doing any tours soon? Uh, I mean, I see you out a little bit, but do you have anything coming up? As a matter of fact, I'm doing a, a movie this next coming week that I'm studying for now. And then, as I said, I'm going to be on tour with my one-woman play, Still Standing, The Melville Moore Story. Uh, I'm going to be doing some dates with people, Bryson, um, a, a bunch of different stuff, yes. <laughs> if you want to really know my calendar, please invite everybody to go to melvillemore.com. Okay, great. That is excellent. Now, I have to tell you that this has been um, – a very good evening for me because I have to tell you, when I was watching TV, when I was a little girl, and with my family, I had no clue that I would have this conversation with you. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad. It makes you feel good. Thank you so much. I, I know what it's been like for me to, to feel to be fans of people. I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, this is one I'm writing down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. And thank you for sharing me with your audience. And, you know, this whole new world of doing publicity and marketing is, is really marvelous. Thank you. You're quite welcome. And if you have the time, please come back and join us again. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. You're welcome. And like I said, you are a true testament of perseverance, resilience, determination, intelligence, beauty, and talent all rolled up into one, and we get the pleasure of having you share it with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'll take you up on that because we've got more stuff coming. So my, I have a great manager, too. His name is Ron Richardson, and he'll be calling you and asking you to invite us back when we have some other things to tell you about. Okay, that'll be great. I'll be looking forward to that. Okay. okay. You have a good night now. Thank you. Okay, you do the same. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you. So everyone, that was the amazing Melba Moore, and I have to tell you, I am really over the moon right now because that is an opportunity that I never, ever expected. However, I had the opportunity to learn a lot, and I hope you did too, because having her on the show, sharing her, and sharing her story and telling us about her life and, and what kept her moving forward and, and her you know, ability to just overcome some really tough obstacles and still keep that same spirit is a testament that we all can learn lessons from. So, therefore, on that note, I'm just going to shut the show down because it's been an amazing evening, and I would like you just to continue to follow us because we always got something good going on. So, please join us on Saturday. We'll be back again at that time. Each and every one of you, I thank you for your continued support. And as I always say, take good care of yourself. Be well. Do good for you. Be the best you you can be. And have a wonderful evening. God bless. That's our show for today. So until next time, keep it real. Listen, learn, and live.